Welcome back to Throne Hands. We're back. It's been about 12 days since we've last recorded. Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jacob. How about you? I'm great, man. I'm just glad to be back and run through this card with you. All right, so we're going to just uh, scroll through a little bit here. Tanner Bozer, man, he's really come on strong these past two fights with that knockout against Felipe Linz. Then his recent knockout against uh, Nunes. What do you think about, about Tanner Bozer's recent performance? I like Tanner Bozer a lot. I think he has kind of proven to be somebody that uh, there should be an eye kept on for the time being. He, We've talked about a lot of times in the past he's been the epitome of a volume striker, but he's very much started to put some more power behind that. A couple pretty impressive knockouts in his last two fights, and the second one coming on a pretty quick turnaround. So, yeah, Tanner Bozer, exciting moving forward. Again, he doubled down on his call out of Maurice Green. I would like to see that fight, and I think that's probably, if I had to guess, where his next step will be. Yeah, I don't really have much to add on that. And like we said, he's bringing the volume, like we said, but he's also putting more power behind that volume, and I think that'll definitely serve well for him coming forward. And so I want to say something about Tom Aspinall. I think he's legit. I mean, yes, Jake Collier moved up a weight class or two. I don't remember, but – Boom, perfect right hand for Tom Aspinall. What do you think this guy's future is? A, a lot of potential there, in my opinion. He's a guy, like you said, just put him down with one big hand. And anytime you've got that kind of power that, and you can pair it with precision, you've got a big future ahead of you if you can harness it. Yep, I mean, he's got a bright future. You and I can both agree on that. This, so we're going to get into the first topic that I have on the agenda. Uh, Francisco Trinado versus Jai Herbert. Trinado came in about six pounds overweight, I believe, five pounds, I think. And Herbert was dominating most of the match until Trinado threw that right hand. And Herbert fell on his back. People thought Herb Dean should have stopped the fight when he landed on the ground. What do you think? It's, it's always tough to deal with. We've seen Herb Dean kind of get criticized in the past because, for the most part, he gives fighters every chance to rally after something like that. He's... He's been known to to wait a little bit uh, on, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, to wait a little bit on uh, stopping fights. We've seen him do it in the past. He's been criticized for it in the past. Uh, he's he's come out and said uh, on Instagram, on his Instagram page, uh, by no means even looking back, does he think it was a late stoppage? He doesn't think it was a bad stoppage. And I mean, he's he cited. A, a, a situation where, again, Herbert put both of his arms to, up to defend himself, lifted his leg, leg, leg and head up off the mat. Uh, again, uh, this is with, – with things like this, especially when you factor TKOs in, these, these officials are put in a really rough position. I don't think it's really my place to, to judge what was a good or a bad decision. Again – I'm not in the octagon there. If Herb Dean uh, felt like Herbert was able to defend himself, 
He was attempting to defend himself. That's great. Again, I just don't want to see people get hurt more than they have to. And it seemed like that, that might have happened on Saturday because he didn't stop that uh, really with what would have been a walk-off knockout. Yeah, you make a good point there. And we are not in the position the referees are, and that's a tough job. I mean, I always trust Herb Dean with his decision-making. Yes, he sometimes has an off night, which every ref does, but I didn't, I didn't, I'm not on the side of Dan Hardy on this one who got all mad about it. When the guy hits the mat, it doesn't necessarily mean the fight's over. And Trinado thought the fight was over. He pretty much just stopped, and then he kind of just started to bang on Jai Herbert. But I don't really disagree with it. But, I mean, Francisco Trinado coming in five pounds of rate, that's unacceptable. So, onto the main card, I'm excited to talk about this dude, Hamzat Shemaev. This guy has come on in the past, in the past two weeks, pretty much, uh, with his first win at uh, middleweight against, I forget whom, The name isn't coming to mind, but this guy is going to be a problem. Oh, yes, uh, Phillips from Wales or Scotland. I can't remember. So what do you you think Shemaev's legit? Absolutely. You don't come into the UFC and outland your your first two opponents, 192 to 2, if you're not legit. I mean, Shemaev, it's it's hyperbole to say this right now, but honestly – at least in terms of style, he fights like a much bigger – well, not much bigger. He fights like a bigger Habib Nurmagomedov. And obviously they have similar backgrounds. They are, are kind of produced by the same system. Uh, but that, that smothering style that uh, Kamayev uh, brought to that fight against Reese McKee got him down to the ground almost uh, at will and was able to just, I mean, grind him out. Uh, until 3:11 into that fight, when he was finally able to to put him out with the TKO, uh, just a really impressive performance for a guy that I don't I, I don't want to say he's come out of nowhere to to be so impressive, uh, but a guy that I don't think people by any means were expecting to have two extremely dominant wins within 10 days of each other in two different weight classes. Yeah, you make a good point. He, it's, he didn't come out of nowhere. He's coming from a great area when it comes to mixed martial arts. He's a wrestler, and that just gives he's, – he's one of the best wrestlers I've seen in a while. I mean, if he keeps this up, it'll definitely solidify my opinion. And Reese McKee is no chump by any means. He's the Cage Warriors champion, I believe. And he's, he's – I mean, he, will, he, he might have a promising career in the UFC coming in, up in the future. But this guy, Hamza, he's just so good on the – and this dude's a – a high-level kickboxer too, so we haven't even seen what he can do on the feet yet because he just puts you on the ground. And I'm just curious what you think. What's next for Hamzat Shemaev? I mean, obviously, there's going to be some overreach when it comes to people with expectations for Shemaev. Uh, but when it when it comes down to it, the guy can fight, and he's proven to be well beyond the challengers that have been thrown at him. Uh, thus far so I mean he's fought twice in the UFC he's won by submission and he's won by TKO I'm not sure exactly uh, what I'm not it's 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 strange to deal with I don't think I don't think you want to fast track him extremely but you definitely want to put him up against somebody legit I don't know if it's a top 15 contender quite yet it's certainly possible that that somebody uh, I would say towards the back end of that welterweight division because I think that's where he's going to stay. Maybe a Neil Magny who's coming off a, a pretty decent win, but I'm not sure even if you want to push uh, Hamayev that hard 
uh, thus far. I think you need to let him develop, but he certainly has proven that he can be put on a fast track to to pretty quick contendership. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I think Dana White said they want to put him up against somebody ranked. I mean, this is, I mean, he's not ranked, but I think Cowboy could be a good matchup for him up in the welterweight division. He's not ranked now, but he's experienced and he's seen he's seen everything that there's possibly to see when it comes to MMA. So that'd be a good challenge for Hamayev. But he he could pretty much. I think you could see him fight either Neil Magny or maybe even Showtime Pettis because of where he's going right now. I mean, this the sky's the limit for this dude. I'm sure you agree with me on that. Oh, absolutely. Again, he's he's so 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 well versed when it goes to the ground. Such a, an elite level wrestler, like you said, somebody that honestly, when it comes to to the level of wrestling, we haven't seen burst onto the scene like this in quite a while um and then he's he's got power in his hands he can just he just rained down on Reese McKee once that fight got to the ground and was just able to finally uh, break through McKee's hands when it came to defense and just finally put him out to the point to where he wasn't defending himself anymore uh, Hamayev has a style that has proven to work in the UFC you only have to look at Habib Nurmagomedov who is an undefeated world champion right now to know that this is a style that works. And I think the freaking sky is the limit when it comes to Kamzat Khamayev uh, because he fights a style that works well in the modern UFC. And he's still a young guy that has proven to be able to go at a high level and has proven to be able to adjust to his opponents. I mean, the guy, cha- the guy fought in two different weight classes in a week and a half, uh, Again, this is he's a very versatile fighter who fights a style that is really in vogue in mixed martial arts right now. This guy's the limit. Yeah, this dude's scary. He's gonna be a problem. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what's up for him. We're not I'm not gonna talk about this fight much, but Alex Oliveira's I like this guy a lot. He has a lot of potential. He has a lot of power behind him. And then Paul Craig, he's 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 pretty good too. So, you know what? We're gonna go on to the uh a very nice matchup here with Esparza versus Marina Rodriguez. What did you think of this? This was a really good fight. Again, I think uh, Carla Esparza's volume ended up being what won her this fight. Uh, when it comes down to significant strikes, the UFC has her actually getting outlanded 40 to 33. Uh, but she, in total strikes, uh, outweighed Rodriguez 118 to 91. It was a competitive fight. I think Esparza obviously was able to to fill it up a little bit more uh, than Marina Rodriguez was. But these are two women that uh, we've talked about so much. The depth of the division is is extremely good. Uh, I think Esparza just took another step forward in getting into title contention with this. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Definitely, she did take herself into title contention with this, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But I think uh, Rodriguez should not be uh... – uh, deterred by this loss she still has a lot of potential coming up to that brazil contender series win i think she's going to be she's going to be fine after this i could see her stringing together a couple wins and maybe getting back even to contention for the championship so i think this was a good fight and marina rodriguez really showed her aggression here even though she was on the ground a lot throwing elbows from the bottom doing everything she could from the bottom against a very highly touted wrestler like carla esparza so what do you think's next for rodriguez Marina Rodriguez, it's it's interesting to look at because she's such a talented fighter. She's going to be coming off a loss. And, again, we've talked, it seems like, 
I would say, ad nauseum about how deep this women's strawweight division is. There's so many potential challengers. Uh, again, somebody like Amanda Hebus is so hot. I don't think you want to put up a Marina Rodriguez coming off a loss against her. Again, I think that would be a great fight. I just don't think that's a good matchup for Marina Rodriguez right now. Maybe, I don't know, Atisha Torres, Alexa Grasso, somebody uh, around that 10, 11, 12, uh, 13 range towards kind of the middle back of, of this women's top 15. Get Marina Rodriguez back on track because I think she's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Force, excuse me, a force to be reckoned with moving forward in this division. You know, I'm going to be honest, I can't add anything more to that. So I'm just going to move on to what's next for Esparza. Coming crazy here, but I think she has a chance to compete for the next title. Namius is hurt. Andrade just got, just fought. Joanna isn't, is still probably recovering from a broken nose. And she, and she just was in the last title. Tatiana Suarez, I think she's hurt a little bit too, along with Gedalia. And I think and Nina Ansaroff's having a child. So it's not out of, uh, what's it called, contention that she could compete for the next title. What do you think? I mean, I think it's certainly possible. Uh, there's obviously, like, like you said, several fighters ahead of her, but she's in a position where due to injuries and, and due to, to kind of mitigating circumstances – uh, she's clearly in a position, a good position, to potentially get a title shot soon. Uh, I don't think, honestly, I think uh, Wei Li Zhang has proven uh, throughout her title reign that she's not somebody to be messed with, and she can kind of, uh, I don't, I don't want to say pick her contenders, but wait for the best possible fight. So that would be the only thing for me is that you have such a well-established champion. Uh, I'm not sure they would – book a fight that would be such a step down in the rankings just to fill time in between fights for Whaley. Yeah, you make a good point there. She is quite established as this champion and she is she's definitely proven herself as maybe is the best in this division. And I don't think Dana White would really want to wait or might would really want to put her up against Esparza as sort of a fill in for another a matchup against Rose Nami Yunus. So I think we you make a good point there. So, you know, under the most disappointing fight of the night, I think I was disappointed in this one. I really wanted Gustafson to win this one against Verdun. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, again, Alexander Gustafson, it seems like his entire career, at least since he became any sort of notable fighter in the UFC, it's kind of the, I guess you could say the narrative around him has been, oh, he's such a big guy. He's so long. He's so well built that if he could ever, if he would ever take the step from light heavyweight to heavyweight where he could fight at a bigger weight, fight with a little more power, fight with a little more bulk to him, that he would be a force to be reckoned with. And that just didn't happen on Saturday. Again, I was shocked at this. We were expecting a huge step forward from Gustafson. He's talking about, uh, you know, how great it was to be back fighting, how much he regretted his temporary retirement. I mean, this is a guy that was probably at one point the second best light heavyweight in the world behind John Jones. And he takes a step up to what seemed like for so long was a more natural weight class for him. And he just got outdone by Fabricio Verdum. And I mean, Fabricio Verdum is by no means any kind of slouch. He's one of the 
most well-rounded fighters ever in the UFC. He's a former heavyweight champion. And was it maybe a stretch to throw him out there against Gustafson in his first fight at heavyweight? I don't know. But for somebody so well-established as Alexander Gustafson, it was a little shocking to see Fabricio Verdum handle him fairly easily. Yeah, it was it was really interesting to see. I mean, Gustafson was throwing some bombs and a lot of volume early, really early in that round until Verdum just bombed to the ground, put him in that armbar, and Verdum was very, very patient with the armbar. And I think his patience obviously won that fight because he was just looking for the armbar. And once he got it, Gustafson knew he was done and he couldn't do anything about it. He just tapped. And I don't think on to what's next for uh, Gustafson. He shouldn't be deterred by this at all. I think he can still – he didn't take damage in this fight, really, except for the armbar. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him fight in the next couple months. And, yes, I don't think he'll – he might fight someone unranked. He might come to the rankings, though. But I don't know. We could see him fight uh, a Pavlovich or, I mean, Olenek fighting soon or maybe even a Walt Harris. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy for Gustafson, honestly, because the- – this was his big comeback fight. This was him finally taking that step up to heavyweight, and it just didn't work out. I think he probably may, he might sneak into that top 15 somewhere, and I'm not sure. Uh, but when you look at that, at that heavyweight division, there are a lot of guys towards the back that could use a win over somebody like Alexander Gustafson to beat an established name, to turn themselves into a legitimate contender. So I would honestly like to see that maybe be the next fight. I mean, at number 15, you've got, uh, Cyril Gain, the former uh, training partner of Francis Ngannou, who has looked so impressive early in his career. Uh, I, would, I, I really like what he brings to the table. I think knocking off Alexander Gustafsson, if possible, would be a massive win for somebody that's considered one of the biggest up-and-comers in the heavyweight division, or even somebody else. Obviously, guys like Augusto Sakai, and, and Walt Harris are ranked higher than Fabricio Verdum. I think uh, those guys are very talented fighters, and I think they're both guys that a win over such an established guy as, uh, as Alexander Gustafson would be huge for them. I think that's where I want to see Gustafson go next, is I want to see him be put into these fights to either stop or be the st- next step to stardom for some of these top prospects. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. And I think, uh, I forget when this was announced, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, Overeem and Sakai are going to be fighting in September, I believe. So that's something to look out for, guys. And I think from what I remember reading, this was Verdum's last fight in the UFC. So, I mean, good on this dude for a very long and successful career in the UFC. I think we might see him retire, but I'd see him, I could see him go to one championship or even, even maybe even Bellator. What do you think? Um, that, that definitely makes sense. I actually have seen some rumors that, uh, as far as this last fight goes, that this coming off a win that may actually set him up uh, for a rematch with, uh, Fedor Emelianenko. That's, uh, these are obviously two of the, two of the greatest heavyweight fighters of all time. I don't know where that fight would be fought. I believe Fedor is uh, still in Bellator. Yeah, he's in Bellator. Yes. So... Uh, that kind of rematch, again, these are two guys that are well past their prime. Uh, but uh, I think Fabrizio Verdum, if he were to leave the UFC at, with this being the end of his contract, uh, taking uh, a step out, heading to Bellator, 
uh, where we've seen a lot of older fighters kind of thrive uh, when it seemed like they were a little bit over the hill, be able to take on Fedor, who, again, obviously is, is well onto the backside of his career. But these are two guys that are two of the greatest heavyweights of all time, getting a rematch after uh, Verdum knocked him off uh, back in Strike Force in 2010. I think that would be something that would do a lot of pay-per-view buys if it were to be in that kind of realm. And Verdum has stated in the past that he wants that rematch. I think that may be the next step. Yep, I think you summed it up. So I'm looking at these rankings here. Did you see the picture of Junior Dos Santos in the gym? I did not. Okay, I got to show you this. Dude, Rosenstroik is in for something not good. <laughs> oh, and I, I got, I'm pulling this up right now. Uh, am I going right. to feel bad for Rosenstroik? Yep. I, I, don't want, <laughs> I don't want him to get destroyed again. Dude, look at this. Oh, oh, <laughs> dude, he's going to get absolutely mauled. He looks like, oh, what's that Tom Hardy movie? He oh. looks like Bronson. Oh, yes, he looks like Bronson. He looks like Bronson. <laughs> dude, this is that he is going. We're going to talk about that fight. I think that comes up in the next at 252, right? possibly that yeah i think it, it does come up at 252 yeah right. dude oh my gosh that's gonna be as as chris move would say that's a murder all right destroyed all right on to um something that if this was 10 years ago we'd be excited about but Hua versus uh lil nog what were your thoughts on this um this was obviously uh uh, two older guys going out, and it was a slugfest, honestly. Obviously, Mauricio Hua did enough to get the get the win, picked up two takedowns, which I think probably helped him considerably. Again, he outstruck Noguera, not by a lot, but he obviously controlled the fight. And, again, these are two guys on the downside of their career, a lot like what I said about Fabricio Verdum. These are kind of the last generation, the previous generation of superstars uh, at, at this kind of level. And they're two guys that have so much respect uh, in the UFC. I, I don't think Shogun is done. I think he's, he's got some fights ahead of him still. And Lil Nog, um, I, I don't remember exactly what he said if this was the end for him. I think it was. Uh, but I think this, this is certainly not a fight to go out on to be ashamed of. This was two guys that really know how to fight going out there and doing it in a, in a good way, in a big way, in a pretty high-profile fight. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. And who is obviously not going to compete for a title again unless he uh, pulls a Vitor belt for it um, with, and they re-legalize uh, TRT. But he, he showed, like, he can still bang with the best – with not yeah. the, no, Gary's not the best one, but he, he can still – he go in there go. and throw some hands that it really showed. And he even, he took Noguera down, which really shows something. And Noguera's obviously pretty darn good on, on the ground. And he's just, he's good. He's, he looked very good in this fight. And he, I think he said he wants to rematch Paul Craig, if I'm not mistake, mistaken, but Hey, I'd that's, that I take that fight. I mean, Paul Craig got his third uh, leg triangle, uh, finish against, oh, that was ridiculous. That was great. I mean, that was, that was gr- amazing. That was a great finish on his part. I was very, very impressed with that. And 
So I think we know what's up. I think you and I can both agree that Nogueira's done and who is going to – I think Paul Craig is next for him. What do you think? That, that would make a lot of sense to me. Two guys coming off wins, I, I think that would be a good fight. All right. I think we summed this one up. Now on to the main event of the evening. I think if you're not a ca- – if you're a casual fan, this was not entertaining to you. But if you're really into this like Daniel and I are, this was – an awesome fight to watch because it was just a technical chess match. What do you think? Yeah, this was a great fight. This was a great fight. These are, these are two great middleweights. Like I said on the preview, I love Robert Whitaker. I love what he brings to the octagon. I love the way that he fights. I just love, honestly, everything about him in the octagon. And previously, I wasn't totally sold on Darren Till at middleweight. Again, he's been impressive. He was pre- impressive in his first fight uh, moving up, but the way he ended uh, in the welterweight division was not particularly impressive. Um, but he, he changed my mind so much with this. He's such a precise kickboxer. And he's just got a mean streak to him as well. He was so impressive even in defeat against somebody like Robert Whitaker, who I think is one of the more underrated fighters in the world. And again, I don't think he's going to get that next shot against Israel Adesanya. But whenever that fight does come around, because I think it's going to come around, Robert Whitaker is going to be right there competing for the UFC middleweight championship. Again, these are two guys, uh, Darren Till especially, I think is probably the future of this middleweight division. I, like I said, I wasn't totally sold on that potential until this fight on Saturday, and he's still got a lot of ways to go to be able to compete with the top contenders in this division. Uh, but he proved he was able to go out there against Robert Whitaker, uh, stand and bang with the best of them. And I'm really excited for both of these guys moving forward. I'm really excited for the middleweight division going forward. I mean, Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa is going to be a slugfest uh, coming up soon. I'm really excited for that fight. You've got, you know, the freaking mascot of this podcast, Yoel Romero at number four. I love Jared Cannonier at number three. He's coming off of an injury. And then at number five, you've got Darren Hill. Darren Till, excuse me, number six, Jack Hermanson, who just picked up a big win against Kelvin Gaslam. The top six guys in this division, plus the champion in Israel Adesanya, Love all six of these guys. Love where this middleweight division's going. Yeah, I'm excited too. And one thing that really impressed me with Darren Till was his head movement. This the whole match. I I mean, yes, I mean some Stephen Miocic always has great head movement, but Darren Till's head movement was ungodly in this match. Robert Whitaker, I mean, yes, Robert Whitaker's arguably you could argue that he's might he might be the best all around fighter in the UFC right now. But Darren Till just really looked impressive when it came to his head movement, as did Robert Whitaker. And this fight honestly could have gone either way uh, toward the end there. Yes, Whitaker doubled his doubled Till's strike amounts, but Till won those first and fourth r- rounds, and the fifth could have gone either way. So I don't think Darren Till should be very uh, deterred by this loss at all. What do you think's next for Darren Till? When it comes down to it, Darren Till is so impressive. So impressive. And I think, honestly, he needs to be launched into that stratosphere as a contender. I don't know. Obviously, coming off a loss, you can't do that. And you look at the guys in this top ten. Calvin Gaslam obviously was dominated by Jack Hermanson. But when you look at the guys in the top ten, you look at the guys who can be considered legitimate title contenders in the middleweight division, these are two guys that you can quickly pair up. I think Darren Till uh, would have a serious advantage in that fight. I think he would 
probably come away with that win. Uh, but I think that's the kind of fight against an established contender in the middleweight division. Because like I said, Darren Till is by no means established at middleweight. He's fought most of his career at welterweight, but knocking off somebody like Kelvin Gaslam, get back in the W column, I think that would be a good move for him. And I think it would be a good bounce-back fight for Gaslam as well, a chance to redeem himself after what was a pretty unexpected, really quick loss to Jack Hermanson. Yeah, I think you make a good point there, but I also think Darren Till's next opponent could be contingent on the Brunson Shabazian uh, winner because if, dude, if Shabazian wins, this dude, I mean, Shabazian's legit. He is so good. I think he has 10 or 11 first-round finishes. He's absolutely incredible. And, yes, Derek Brunson's a brawler. He could, he'll knock you out. He'll put your lights out with one punch. But I think whoever wins this fight, that's next for him against Brunson and Shabazzian, which is this weekend, by the way, and we will be previewing quite soon. And Kel- Kelvin Gaslam, that's also a good matchup for him. So I wouldn't be surprised if 7, 8, and 9 – that that's definitely Darren Till's next matchup, but Darren Till should not be deterred by this loss against Robbie Whitaker. And I think what's next for Robbie Whitaker is the loser of Adesanya and Costa, because I believe Cannoneer would be next up into the title contention. What do you think? Yeah, that makes the most sense to me. I don't think Jared Cannoneer having basically lost a title shot to injury is going to be keen to take another fight before he gets that title shot. I think he's completely deserving of that title shot, and I want him to get it because I love his the way he fights. Uh, but that makes a lot of sense. Uh, again, just from a pure title eliminator perspective, I would love to see Whitaker fight Cannoneer, but I don't think that's a fight Jared Cannoneer would be willing to take when he probably has a title opportunity on the table against the winner of Adesanya and Costa. So as sort of a consolation prize for Robert Whitaker, I think he definitely gets the loser of that fight, which again, I, I, would, I would bet that it's Paulo Costa. I don't see him uh, causing any big problems for Israel Adesanya. I love Israel Adesanya. I think he's honestly as dominant as anybody we've got in the UFC right now. Uh, but I'm really intrigued by that fight. And I think Whitaker, uh, just as a result of Jared Cannonier's situation, probably would get the loser. I would agree with you on that. Yeah, I, I don't really have much more to add to that. So, ooh, I forgot what I was going to bring up. Mm, crap. Oh, well, I do have one thing to bring up. Dude, I'm, ex- I'm excited, man. It's uh, Gaethje and Habib are we got a scheduled date. October 23rd. It's, it's finally happening. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I think uh, – call me crazy here, but I think Habib will have some problems with Gaethje because Gaethje – Gaethje's just such a good striker, and I think Gaethje's probably the best wrestler Habib has caught up against, even though Gaethje isn't really exactly an offensive wrestler, but defensively he's probably the best wrestler. So what what are your thoughts on this matchup? Just a little preview. What do you think? From the moment Justin Gaethje picked up that that interim title fight win against uh, against Tony Ferguson, uh, there were two things that I took away from that. One – this is a totally different Justin Gaethje than we've seen. This is not the overly aggressive, try to knock you out with every strike kind of fighter that we had come to expect out of Justin Gaethje. This is a much more precise, a much more efficient fighter that can get a lot of things done in the octagon that has some really high potential going forward. And the second thing that I took away from that fight is – 
honestly, I, I believe that Justin Gaethje is going to be, to this point, the greatest challenge that Habib Nurmagomedov will have faced in the UFC. Obviously, Justin Gaethje, like you said, is not going to be a match in terms of offensive wrestling uh, matched up against Khabib Nurmagomedov. In my opinion, nobody is in the UFC. I think we, he, he wrestles at a totally different level from anything we've ever seen in the UFC outside of, you know, a, a handful of guys. Uh, but obviously, Gaethje has a college wrestling background, uh, was uh, at the University of Northern Colorado. He had, had a stellar uh, career at the college level. And then he just brings so much power in his hands. I mean, he beat up Tony Ferguson, who had basically been considered the uncrowned champion of this division while uh, Khabib was essentially stuck in Dagestan uh, due to COVID-19 and everything. And then Gaethje came in and dominated that fight. So it, I think it's just Gaethje maybe the best fighter that could be I'm sure I would say that certainly up there is the biggest challenge definitely true yeah Hello. I I whoa, whoa, whoa that was weird anyway I think I think you and I can both agree that it's he might it's not the best fighter but the best challenge that Habib has and another thing uh Justin Janes and uh Yusuf Ma- Zalal are slated for August 8th, the two guys, two of the three guys that we interviewed. So that's exciting stuff right there. Um, That's really all I have. Dan, you have anything more to add? No, sir. All right. Well, we're back. We're back doing more content. And we will see you guys later for a preview of Fight Night, Brunson versus Shabazian.